Welcome to Keystone Education Radio, the podcast for all things focused on education in Pennsylvania. Now here's your host, Annette Stevenson. Technology becomes more prevalent in the classroom every school year. This spring, it became even more vital to the continuity of education as schools across the country shuttered due to the COVID-19 pandemic. During this time, technology has allowed students to stay connected with teachers, complete assignments, and experience annual spring school events virtually. With the pervasiveness of technology in the classrooms and social lives of students, these benefits are accompanied by other impacts, and some of them can be negative. Today, we are joined by Dr. Delaney Rustin, a physician and documentary filmmaker who has studied and documented stress, anxiety, and depression among teens in the digital era. For the past 20 years, Delaney has split her time between providing primary care and creating short and feature-length documentaries such as Screenagers, Growing Up in the Digital Age, and Screenagers Next Chapter, Uncovering Skills for Stress Resilience. In her most recent film, Screenagers Next Chapter, She uses the personal lens of being a mother to teenagers and her personal experience as a physician to understand the challenges of our screen-filled society. She explores how parents and schools are addressing student mental health challenges, emotional agility, and resilience against stress. Thank you for joining us, Delaney, to discuss this timely topic as many of us are spending more time on our screens due to stay-at-home orders and social distancing practices. Thanks for joining us. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you. In the film Screenagers, next chapter, you talk to students of different ages and with different life circumstances, but each student seems to struggle with some level of anxiety or depression. From your research, why have mental health concerns become more prevalent as the use of technology has increased? You know, the work that I've been doing with Screenagers and Screenagers Next Chapter is a lot about understanding how do we talk with kids and teens in a way that they're going to listen because we're in this tech revolution of this candy of technology, they can easily want to be doing their own thing. And I really want to make sure we're giving them information that they can respond to. And what I'm worried about, and this is kind of um, getting to your question, is there's been this idea that phones are ruining a generation and they are just the cause of any increase that we're seeing. And what I find is that young people immediately get defensive around screen time issues. So let me get a little bit granular about what do we know about the data around mental health issues. And these are the type of things that I share with teens to get them thinking deeply about these issues. Mm-hmm. People are often surprised that it turns out that in the early 90s, the rate of young people of their depression symptoms was similar um, to what it is now. In fact, for boys, it was actually a little bit higher, not quite as high for girls. There's many different factors that go into what is going on. In the uh, 90s, it started to go down. And then in the early 2000s, we started to see for all age groups, level, for example, of depression rates to start to go up. And in Screenagers' uh, next chapter, uh, when my daughter developed depression, and I just was at a loss what to do, even as a physician, mm-hmm. I looked at the data of what you're mentioning, that from 2011 up to most recent of 2017, there's been a 59% increase in teens reporting depression symptoms. 
And so why is that? You know, obviously there are non-screen related reasons such as, you know, increased focus on performance and competition that has me concerned and individualism. Mm -hmm. So those that aren't at that par can often feel less than. Mm -hmm. And in terms of technology, there is an association. So the more time if people are on, these young people on a lot of screen times, there is an increased chance that they will report depression symptoms. And, and I think there are three main reasons for that association. I think one is that, yes, things can happen on screens that can cause a young person to go into several weeks of a uh, feeling really uh, low and blue and, and depressed, such as you know um, social cruelty or just feeling inundated with feeling left out or less than. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what's concerning, too, is that the data shows that teens who are already vulnerable emotionally, they're more likely to report that screen time, social media in particular, makes them feel worse. Mm-hmm. So the vulnerable are that much more an area mm-hmm. that we need to focus. The second reason is really concerning about its displacing time that we know is valuable for emotional well-being. Uh, one huge example is sleep. Uh, we're at a, basically a public health crisis around sleep and related to the fact that now 41% of teens um, report that they get less than seven hours of sleep most school nights. Mm. Right now with COVID-19, when I'm talking with teens who are going to bed around two, they're still sleeping in later, but this is a real problem because they're missing classes and they told me they really want actually help for getting more sleep. Uh, Displacing time, of course, with friends and peers and other things that are really protective. And the third one is a really big one, is that this association with more time on screens and increased chance of reporting mental health challenge is that when teens are feeling low emotionally, where do they go? They tell me time and again, their main coping skill now is going to a screen to not think about the issue, to kind of, or sometimes to get help. But ultimately, you know, they're no longer uh, as often going to find a person or going to an after-school program where, or a work, a job, where they might actually start to really do the types of engagement that will get them over and through their hard emotions, as opposed to just mask it as they go day and day and night and night on screens. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes, and that might even be the place where the problem started, is then where they're returning back as their coping mechanism, from what you're saying. Absolutely. And one of the researchers in um, Screenager's next chapter says exactly that, that she's particularly worried of those teens who say, social media is making me feel worse, but I can't stop. Mm. Why? So... In one of the schools you visited in the film, high school students were talking to middle school students about how to navigate the experiences they're likely to face as they get older and grow up. A middle school student expresses that they feel more comfortable talking to an older student instead of an adult. So when students do talk to adults, how can the adults make students feel comfortable and allow them to open up? Or is that the answer that they talk to maybe an older mentor student rather than an adult? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it is important that all of us know, because I, I wasn't aware um, as much as I should have been, that research that continuously shows us that 
the number one place that teens go um, is to their peers when they're dealing with a hard emotion. They, a high percentage still will say that they go to their parents, but obviously a higher percentage go to teens. And I got really interested in how do we help, um, and I'll get to how adults can help, but I, I was really interested in how do we help teens get better at using effective evidence-based language and techniques that they can use when their friends are going through hard times, knowing full well that that would help them uh, to feel more confident and gain skills that they teach their friends, they would be learning themselves. And so in uh, Screenagers Next Chapter, you, you see this incredible program where teens in high school are teaching middle school kids about specific language using I statements and really what does active listening and validation really mean. Um, and it's some programs I'd love to see all across the country because um, when it comes particularly to this kind of touchy-feely stuff, you know, uh, social and emotional skills, the, the last thing we want to do is to kind of talk down to teens, right? And just like tell them the obvious as opposed to have them teach it. I see it constantly how engaged they get. In terms of adults, they're uh, personally, I can tell you, that's such a big reason I made this film because when Tessa was going through hard emotional times, I, um, even though I have been a doctor for 25 years and I take care at times of teenagers and, um, and young adults with depression, I felt as a parent completely at a loss of what to do. And mm -hmm. I needed a lot of help to, to learn how to um, support her better because I kept just going in and problem solving. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and it would, you know, we got to the point, I would just start to say maybe like one word and she would just be like, there you go again. And mm -hmm. oh, and the last thing I wanted to do was make her, you know, leave at the moment. I thought I maybe would have a connection with her. Mm -hmm. And so in Screenagers Next Chapter, when you follow, um, one of the stories is our story and you follow that journey as I'm struggling of what to do. And, and you know, it, I really began to appreciate what's called the art of validation. And so many parents who've had uh, kids go through this hard uh, time say, why didn't someone teach me about validation before? And it's really, it's not, um, it's really active listening and empathy. And it's not necessarily saying you're agreeing with what they're saying. It's just truly listening in a way that lets them say their emotions. And even though you have such this desire to say, oh, okay, have you tried this? Have you tried that? Mm -hmm. I have a huge list of reasons that teens tell me why that doesn't work and makes it worse. And I'll, I'll, I'll give just uh, two right now. Sure. Um, one of the, the big ones is they feel like you don't trust that they can come up with solutions. And that's a huge issue that they want autonomy and feel trusted. In fact, the number one thing when I ask teens over the 10 years of doing this work, you know, what is the one thing you want your parents to know? And they'll say, I want them to trust me. Hmm. And they don't mean, you know, trust me that I'm not going to, uh, cheat and kind of steal more screen time because five minutes later they tell me about the way they're sneaking screen time. Right. But it's just like, we're the number one uh, group in their lives, right? People in their lives that they need us to believe in them because so often they're not believing in themselves, right? I mean, it's a rocky road growing up, boy. So um, that's one. And another big one is um, by not jumping into problem solve 
is that it it shows them that we um, know that hard emotions are a part of life, that we're not trying to just get rid of them. Okay, yeah, you have that emotion, but let's get to here to there. It's like, yep, that's hard. And that acceptance is a really wonderful thing. Actually, if you've ever tried it, because I've had some really hard times in my life. And as I've learned to at moments, just accept it and not be fighting, I actually can literally feel the tension and the sadness just decrease a little bit. And it's a similar for teens. So ultimately, um, to wrap this part up, and I could talk forever about this, is I um, went to a scientist because I was in my research in the film, learned that she had actually done physiologic studies of parents and their teens. When a teen is given a puzzle on a computer that they're not able to solve, and the parent is told, whatever you do, don't go in and try to solve it. Just watch and, you know, see what happens. And time after time, the parent steps in and tries uh, to help. And she's actually measuring the physiology of the teens and the parents at the same time. And at the moment that the parent steps in to problem solve, basically it literally, you can see the parent's stress level go down and that of the teen go up. And so what I've learned to do in response, you know, knowing this science is to realize how important it is for them to feel a sense of control. And so I'll say to both my teens, um, you know, if they're having a hard time and it's hard for me, I still work on it. I'll say, that sounds really hard. You know, I'm curious what solutions you're thinking of. Or I'll say, you know, let me know if you want help in trying to problem solve things. Mm-hmm. That goes really well because mm-hmm. you're putting that control back on them to to say yes, I'd like help or no, I would not like help. You know, exactly. Hmm. So hard and and as you mentioned, the parent's stress level goes up, so that's like the parent urge. You, ha- you know, the the parent has to fight that urge to step in. It sounds like exactly. And Annette, let me say because we were taught you were actually specifically just saying adults, but I think it's the same thing um, for teachers. You know, it's it's oh, interesting. Yeah. This didn't make it into Screenagers' um, next chapter, but I was, you know, as an outsider, <laughs> going in and talking to, interviewing, and filming a lot of teachers. I would say, you know, what do you learn in education school? You know, about relationships and communications with students, and they would like look at me like I was kind of silly to even ask them. We go, no, 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 no. We don't learn anything about that. Yeah. And yeah. I was, I was shocked. And, and then I thought to myself, well, as a doctor, hmm, when I was in medical school, how much do we learn about communication techniques in what we're doing as, as doing really important interface with families and our patients? So um, that was another impetus for doing this uh, documentary. I, I ended up after my residency and um, primary care, doing a research fellowship. I started doing uh, research on interpersonal communication science because there are actual specific things we can be teaching people. And so while I know we talk a lot about like, oh, kids and teens are losing their communication skills, I often think about the fact that, gosh, I know um, a lot of people who didn't grow up with much screen time and they're not really good communicators. So I, I feel like this is really a moment in time that we can really 
be teaching specific th um, skills more. And I would love to see that more. And obviously in all realms and with education as the adult, uh, physicians and us parents, all of us can get better. And I'm on a constant journey to in, um, get more effective in my communication skills with colleagues and family members and, and all of that. And I'm talking about, you know, when there's emotions at stake and, sure. and relationships. Sure. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because we're talking about screen time, of course, as part of this. And so students and parents are spending more time together as families and, and we're isolated right now due to the spread or the prevention rather of the spreading of the COVID-19 pandemic. And so what symptoms can parents look for that could give them a signal that their children might be experiencing mental health concerns or maybe anxiety um, or issues stemming from maybe the isolation or maybe from the additional screen time, all of these circumstances that we're caught up in right now, what, is, what are things that parents can really look for? I mean, um, let me as a, put on a clinical hat just to, to make it very simple for a moment. Mm -hmm. For depression, we start out with two main screening questions. If the, either of these are positive to enough of a degree, and I'll explain that, then we go into finding out more. Um, and, and I will say the same for anxiety. So for depression, the two main things that we look at is first we ask, are they been feeling down, depressed, or hopeless? Um, and it really needs to be on several days of the week. Um, and the other thing is little interest or pleasure in doing things. And they can have both of those or one of those, and they need to have it, you know, several days uh, a week that that's going on. Here's the interesting thing about depression symptoms, though, is we often say, well, if there's a reason for it, you know, they can't go to, like, my daughter won't have graduation and prom, she's a senior in high school, or, um, you know, others that had planned for their sports. I mean, there are so many reasons for disappointment. True. It's even with that background, if a teen is, is having some, or a child is really seems to no longer have interest in anything, right? Or just very little and seems sad or, or hopeless after for several weeks, the goal is actually to get them support. And you as a parent to not just say, well, there's a clear reason, but it's a great time to be um, giving them skills and to lower their suffering, not to have this idea, oh, there's a reason, you just gotta keep suffering. The other one for anxiety you asked, again, two main questions to start with is, are they feeling nervous, anxious, on edge, um, you know, most days, a lot of it. And the second one is, are they not being able to stop or control their worrying? And for anxious feelings, um, usually that's, if it's going to become a clinical or really a problem, usually that person will have already had symptoms before this, uh, you know, a COVID crisis, mm -hmm. but um, related to what to do after that, you know, if they are having hard times, there's a lot of things that we still can do even in isolation. Um, one of the big ones is, is there a way that that kid or teen can feel needed? And in Screen Agers Next Chapter, for example, I um, was able to ask my friend who Tessa babysat for if she could ask Tessa to babysit more for and right now, obviously, kids and teens can't, you know, play with other little kids, but they could, for example, 
if, if the parent said, you know what, our, my friends uh, or our cousin, your younger cousin's having a hard time with math, or can you give them a, a call or on FaceTime and help them? It's a really healing. That's just one small example mm-hmm. of things that we can be doing to try to help them with hard emotions. I'll give one other um, skill, but it, just to, to say that, you know, this is the whole point of Screenagers uh, Next Chapter was if in the different stories is skills that parents and kids and teens learn through the stories and the science through the film and the website Screenagers um, movie has all sorts of more tips around anxious and depression and symptoms and stress and all and really actionable steps. That's what I really wanted to to make happen. I, I would just would say one other one is parents to be talking more about their emotions right now. Uh, it seems obvious on one level if you're already prone to do that as a parent, but I can't tell you the number of parents that I interviewed for this film who, I'll give an example. One father, I said, you know, do you talk to your three kids at all about, you know, your emotional state and you know, what you, what's going on in your day and how you get through hard times? And he looked up and he said, talk about my emotions. You mean other than get mad at them? <laughs> and I said, no, yeah. And he goes, you know, I, I really don't that much. <laughs> and what's so great is if we don't, it's not about bombarding them or flooding them. Yeah, but it gives them such permission to talk more when we talk about oh, it was a hard day for this reason, but uh, you know, or this I'm feeling worried about this, or a little upset or disappointed. And the other thing I think is so great, particularly when we talk about uh, whether it's times now or in the past, what what we did, what worked, what didn't, the different strategies we had. Maybe we went to counseling. Maybe we had this great friend that we would ask for help, and that friend was so happy we asked for help. You know, there's all these ways that we're seeping into their brains of resiliency skills when we talk about our emotional experiences. Yeah, wow. So, I mean, it sounds like some of these are really just – an easy thing, not an easy fix, but it's an easy thing to kind of think of and implement in some of these instances. Like you mentioned, the homework help or giving some sort of purposeful responsibility. So they feel a responsibility to something and purposeful and feel needed. And, you know, if it could be as simple as that in some of these instances, that that's very actionable, as you mentioned. Yeah. You know, and once we get out of this crisis, I would say as a parent who's gone through this for quite a while with my daughter, I I can't say enough how emotionally painful it is as a parent to see um, your child or a um, teen, you know, go through an emotional hard time. And it doesn't have to be clinical. It can just be, we all know, you know, a breakup, whatever they're going through. And it is so much the number one advice I give to any parent is really doing the work to create a support team. I couldn't have gotten through Tessa's um, in and out depression, you know, long journey without about four moms that were going through it. In fact, uh, you know, it wasn't easy to find them actually. And, you know, and, and, um, but doing that work was great as well as reaching out to friends. Like I mentioned one who would, because Tessa couldn't self advocate to babysit because of the depression symptoms. Once she was there, Mm-hmm. It's called behavioral activation. Her brain started to enjoy the behavior, but the anticipation 
just wasn't there. The dopamine levels are lower. The reward center, we can see it on MRIs is actually less active. So mm. I needed a support team as well as um, family counseling. So, and you even see that in the film, you know, when I get to go with her a little bit to her, her counseling and all of these things, I really just wanted to demystify in the film and was so happy that the teens themselves were so happy to be in the film, including um, Tessa, who I wanted to, you know, really make sure, did she want to be in the film? I said to her over and over, do you really want to be in it? And she finally, um, she watched the rough cut and a few times and she said, mom, you know, when I see those other teens talking about all the different things they do, it helps me so much that I really want to make sure that I get to help others. Hmm. I absolutely want to be in this film. It's courageous. And that's awesome. I kind of wondered about that. Um, just <laughs> in knowing that it's your daughter, <laughs> you know, it's a little, exactly right. I mean, in terms tough. of yeah. how much autonomy does she have? How you know, because, I, and I said, hun, you know, this film has so many stories, so much science or so many, it could absolutely work without you, you know? And there was a family member who was worried, you know, she lives on the East coast. We're on the West coast. She's like Delaney, you know, the East coast mental health problems are still much more stigmatized, you know, and are you sure you want to do that? Now Tessa goes and does, you know, Q and a appearances all over the, you know, when she's wow. before this, she loves talking to people, you know, and overall they, it's the human nature when we can find purpose to our pain and help other people that, that dual thing that comes from being able to talk about our mental health struggles is one of the huge reasons, you know, I'm just thrilled to be a part of ongoing advocacy for so many people paving the way for years on these topics of how do we completely normalize that it is normal to have um, really hard emotional times for people of all ages. And the last thing you want to do is make them feel like they can't talk about it. Mm -hmm. So couple things. I want to ask if there's additional resources that you might suggest um, for parents, students, and children even, and also kind of the school leadership audience. Is there additional resources? And secondly, your film as a resource. Where can our listeners find out more about your film and find a way to, to view it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, my, as I mentioned at the top of the hour is I have been really focused on the science of communication. How do we engage young people? Because I was finding that uh, I wasn't doing such a great job with my kids. I was doing a really um, like kind of a scare tactic around screen time issues. And I realized I really wanted to do a share tactic, really wanted to have calm conversations. Um, and so I created something Tech Talk Tuesdays with my family. And so for over four years, I've been writing a weekly article that looks at um, all sorts of topics we've been discussing around um, sleep, screen time, uh, depression, anxiousness, stress, all these things. So first and foremost is at the Screenagers, Screenagers movie website um, has both films. And if you go to Tech Talk Tuesday and just put in any topic, there are literally uh, hundreds of things that I've written, as well as a resource page that um, has all sorts of actionables around these topics on the website. And in terms of um, seeing Screenagers or Screenagers Next Chapter, what's, what we've, um, you know, 
in making the films, what I, what I found was that we are in this technology revolution that is so intense and growing rapidly, the intensity by which it pulls our young people to want to be on screen, so many wonderful reasons and some risks. And we can't just say, oh, they just need to learn by themselves. They need us. And I realized we need each other in this. Like just to be a parent alone or just to be a teacher alone, no, we really needed to come together as adults and kids um, and students and everyone together. So for this reason now, for, you know, for both films, it's been community screenings with parents and kids and teachers. And now with COVID, what we've been doing is um, there's online um, community events happening. People can organize them as schools are organizing them. We've had dozens and it's been great with moderated discussion afterwards with the schools, counselors, teens and others. And then also there's individual event screening options as well. So all of that is at screenagersmovie.com. Oh, that sounds fantastic. And for this particular time we're in, completely doable. (laughs) Yes. Be able to screen it online. So that's awesome. Well, I sure want to thank you for joining us today. I'm sure there is so much more, you know, that we could go on about. We've scratched the surface here, but I think just to continue talking and learning and knowing about more about this subject is just hugely important. So I, I appreciate you joining us. Oh, it's been wonderful. Thank you so much. Keystone Education Radio is a production of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. This episode is brought to you in part by Keystone Purchasing Network and the Pennsylvania School District Liquid Asset Fund. Visit our website at keyedradio.org for more information on today's discussion and for past episodes covering a wide range of education topics. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss a show and feel free to rate and review or share the show with a friend or colleague. Follow Keystone Education Radio and PSVA on social media. This is Annette Stevenson saying thank you for listening to Keystone Education Radio. The views and opinions expressed on the Keystone Education Radio podcast are solely the views and opinions of our guests and do not reflect the views and opinions of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. Thank you.